Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. everyone. Welcome to our new podcast, Everything is Fine. I'm Talia Vicasis. And I'm Kim France. I'm a documentary filmmaker, podcaster, mom, 46, and the co-host of the show with Kim. Uh, we actually don't know each other very well, but we just met for the purposes of this show. Kim, do you want to say who you are? Yes. Um, I am a former magazine editor. I founded Lucky Magazine and also worked in New York Magazine and Sassy and some other publications and I have a blog called Girls of a Certain Age, which is about style and shopping and popular culture for women over 40. I live on the Lower East Side of Manhattan with my two dogs, and I do not leave the house without lipstick on. And I am 55. I will not leave the house without mascara on. Um, I read somewhere that you said, and I thought it was really funny, in your bio, you were like, I co-founded Lucky, I did all these things, blah, blah, blah. But all anybody cares about is that I used to write at Sassy. That's all anybody cares about. And when I was at Lucky, which was like not unsuccessful in its day, it was the most successful launch in Condé Nast history. But I would meet people at parties and they'd be like, Kim, Kim France from Sassy. <laughs> That's how I felt when I saw your name. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's very gratifying. And it was definitely the most satisfying relationship I ever had with readers. I mean, the, the relationship I have now with my readers on my blog is very satisfying. But um, teenage girls get so emotionally connected and they're such letter writers anyway. And the mail that we got from them was just so amazing. And they would turn up in the offices when they were on their choir trip to New York and want a tour. And um, a ton of them went into publishing. Oh, really? Um, and so I would meet them all the time. You know, women who had decided to become magazine editors because they wanted to be like Christina or they wanted to be like Karen. Yeah. Well, I, I went from reading Seventeen magazine to just like, oh, my God, Sassy is the only magazine that I will ever read and feeling such a connection with all the people. I think it was the first time that I noticed people's bylines and who wrote what. Yeah. No, I've heard that before. I mean, it was supposed to be like, here's your pal writing this story. I think Sassy made a particular kind of girl feel very seen while she was growing up. You know, because Seventeen magazine, which I read obsessively when I was a teenager and really worried because my life did not resemble the exactly. life in Seventeen magazine. I wanted my bedroom to look like the bedroom spreads they did. You know, I wanted to have dates and look, you know, do all put cucumbers on my eyes before the dates and things like that. Yeah, I feel like Sassy was speaking to the Joe in The Facts of Life. <laughs> yes. And Seventeen was speaking to Blair. Seventeen was definitely speaking to Blair, and I was a Joe trying to get Blair information. I, exactly. We were um, all Joes. All the cool people were Joes. 
It's true. I remember my mother saying to me, like, the people who are popular now are going to be so boring later on. And it was impossible to take the long view then. But she was totally right. Totally right. right. Oh, my God. Totally right. Yeah, it was fun. And I would be I'd be out. I used to go see bands all the time back then. And I would be out at CBGB or something, and some, like, hipster guy would come up to me and say, I bet I'm the first 25-year-old guy you've known who's ever told you he reads Sassy Magazine. And I'd be like, you're not even the first one tonight. (laughs) Next. (laughs) Like, everybody thought they were so, all these guys thought they were so original for reading Sassy. Were they reading their sisters or their girlfriends, or they would actually buy it? I think they would buy their own. Really? And one of the things I really love was when, I forget which Sonic Youth album it was came out, but they said there were only two profiles they cared about getting in the New York Times Magazine and Sassy. Oh, wow. Uh, So we decided to start the show because, um, well, for me anyway, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there that is not really speaking to my demographic. It's not speaking to me. And so we wanted to start a show that's kind of about being in your 40s, being in your 50s, being older than that, I would hope, about this phase of your life, your fears, your health, your self-care, and how you navigate being called middle-aged when you are allergic to the term middle-aged. Like if I hear somebody call me middle-aged, I want to stick needles in my eyes. I cringe so badly. It's so horrible. Well, I still get an image in my mind when people say middle-aged and the image isn't me. Yeah, exactly. Like there's this, there's who you are in your head and then there's who you are when you look in the mirror and then there's also this other level of how people see you and when people call me madame in a store or whatever, I feel like I'm looking over my shoulder, like, who are they talking to? Oh, when they call me, if they ever occasionally call me miss anymore, I get so excited. <laughs> it's still a really vital time of life. It's still a really, you know, you can be really super cool. You know, I think about Debbie Harry and I think about Patti Smith and women who are in yeah. their 70s now and still as cool as they ever were. Yeah, we all want to be Patti Smith, though. Yeah, although I met her once. And? okay fine (laughs) i'll tell you later um but i i think that there it's silly to hold on to concepts of cool but we we want to anyway and i think there is a way to really be it's why i started my blog i think there's a way to be cool and stylish when you pass the age when people traditionally think about people being cool and it's not unnatural to want to hang on to that so it's like hanging on to it in a way that feels dignified being cool and dignified yes being cool and dignified at the same time that's our tagline (laughs) (laughs) but where were you in your life when you started girls of a certain age when i started girls of a certain age i was 48 i'd been fired from lucky magazine so like the biggest most important job i'd ever had or could ever hope to have And I knew I didn't want an experience like that again. So I thought, I'll just start a blog and I'll write about what I want to write about. And maybe eventually I'll figure out how to make money off of it. Um, And I also like the idea of starting a style blog because there are so many style blogs and they're all girls in their 20s and they've all got nail art or they did at least when I was starting it. Nail art was a thing and they're all wearing flouncy short skirts and... There was an, a vapidness to it, and I thought that the women I knew were interested in something that, you know, even if we were talking about superficial topics, even if we were talking about A-line skirts, we could do it in a smart way. And, um, you know, Lucky had shown me that smart people could be interested in superficial things, so I thought I would try to mine the same mm-hmm. vein. I feel like I've just started to have this problem like last summer and two summers ago where, you know, I live in a cold climate. And so you have your wardrobe changeover that happens. And it started when I got to my summer wardrobe, I would try on all these flouncy skirts and dresses with ruffles. And it just didn't look the way it used to look. There came a point where I would try things on and be like, oh, I look like I'm going to a an office party or a wedding. Like there's something about it where you look dressed up. Yeah. You look dressed up where you're in your twenties and you wear like a pretty fancy dress and you throw on flip flops and a straw bag in the summer. And you just look like you're going to a picnic. And when you hit your forties, you put on those same clothes and you suddenly look like you're going somewhere fancy. Like for some reason, dressing down now is the only thing that works. Anyway, I found myself in this position of 
not knowing how to dress anymore and feeling like I'm presenting in some different way to the world that I wasn't before. So how have you responded to that? I'm wearing a lot of really plain clothes, which is not really my thing. If you look in my closet, it's a lot of patterns, a lot of ruffles, a lot of, I mean, I sound like a clown, but I (laughs) I just feel like I'm shifting the way that I dress and the way that I look into much simpler things. I feel like, though, there are certain women who, when I was younger, I would look at and they dressed very simple and very streamlined, but I could tell that they were no longer making an effort with what they wore because they were interesting people and they didn't have to. Hmm. This is what I tell myself about the fact that <laughs> well, I dress also, more simply. Yeah, but then you also I also noticed that the people who dress the way I think I want to dress and who are older are often like kookier. You know, like it's very easy to fall into that kind of making a statement like I'm dressing this way as a statement as opposed to just I'm dressing this way because I like these clothes well it's I, I in in um a piece that I wrote in the cut um that I know you read I I, I I wrote about how when I see old ladies on the street and they're wearing too much makeup it feels to me like they're they're becoming invisible so they're trying to draw themselves back in and I think women do the same thing often with clothes when they start wearing super zany clothes Hmm. they're trying to like make themselves uninvisible Mm. okay well that's the topic that we wanted to dig into today um is this idea of invisibility and once you get to a certain age you start to become more and more invisible um and if you're younger and listening to this and you don't know what that's about (laughs) Uh, neither did we. Yeah, neither did we. Well, okay, let's start at the beginning. So do you want to take a crack at defining invisibility at this age? Sure. Um, I think that when you're before you become invisible, there's a way in which you reflexively check out and are checked out by people on the street just sort of in a very ambient way, and that stops happening. Um, strangers no longer flirt with you. It takes a long time to get a drink at a bar. Um, in the workplace, I think it can present in all sorts of different ways, but somehow experience isn't something to be valued. Youth is something to be valued, and your age is seen as a liability. Do you Um, remember the first moment that you felt like, wait a minute, what just happened? Yes, absolutely. I was, I, a friend had said to me when I turned 40, a woman I worked with who was a very attractive woman my age said, oh yeah, 40, that's when you become invisible. And I was like, what is she talking about? Yeah. I'm not going to become invisible. This just is crazy. And then um, I went on a raw food diet and I would go every day to the raw food place around the corner from where I lived. And they had a membership. And every day the guy would say, are you a member? And every day I would say, yes, I'm a member. And it just kept happening. And he just kept not remembering. And then I was like, oh, yeah, rewind, repeat, like invisible. That's what that is. Yeah. How about you? (laughs) It's super similar. I mean, I go to spinning class um, and I I had been going for like a year and a half. And I take it super seriously. Like I'm really a devotee of the spinning class. And it's the same people go most of the time. And I smile at the instructor and he's a guy in his 30s. And I thought that I was sort of a part of the scene, part of the room. Um, I think I even messaged him once on Instagram to ask him the name of a song. So I feel like you're a psychopath if you answer a message and you don't look at who that person is. So like he has to have seen me to some degree. But anyway, um, there was a new person in the spinning class sitting next to me and he came to show her the bike. And then he said, if you need help, just ask the person next to you. And he turned to me and he said, have you been here before? And I was like, fuck you. I've been coming here for a year and a half. And I feel like that's what it was. I mean, there's a lot of really young, attractive women in that class. And I didn't really register. And what did you do with that feeling? How did it process? I mean, it felt really shitty, to be honest. Like, if I'm not in that room and I'm not registering as somebody who is part of it, it feels like you're somehow outside of the world in some way. How did you feel when it happened to you? Um, I felt silly for not thinking it would happen to me. Yeah. Really. Um, I also thought it wouldn't happen to me. I was always both insecure about my looks and also aware that my looks were all right. 
And so when they stopped having currency, it was a, it was a jolting feeling. It feels like there is a part of aging in our society that there's a moral aspect to it that maybe if you work hard enough, it won't happen to you. Like if you use the right creams, if you do the right things, if you take good care of yourself, you'll beat it. And that's, I mean, obviously the narrative of anti-aging products. The feeling of it's not going to happen to me is almost like a feeling of superiority. And then finally, it is actually going to happen to everybody. Yeah. And it's the stupidest thing in the world to feel superior about. If you live long enough, it's going to happen to you. But I remember, I can, I can see now how I made people invisible. Like how? Just by not remembering names, not giving as much credence to what someone said. Are you talking about older women who yeah, you saw? when I was younger. I think I, I think I was absolutely guilty of that. Um, and I also worked in magazine publishing, and magazine publishing was sort of like that Mexican or Puerto Rican band Menudo, where they kept <laughs> replacing people as they got, as they hit 18, then yeah. they would be out of the band and they'd bring in someone new. Magazine publishing, when I was at Condé Nast, I remember being at the holiday lunch one year and looking at all the editors-in-chief, and they were all at that point, under 40, 41, 42. And I thought, like, where do the older editors go? Mm. And then it was like, ah, oh, don't care. <laughs> so I'm is not there yet. Anna Wintour is the only one who's allowed to be older? Um, currently, she's probably the only one who's older. And it's just because she's got to the point of so much power? Yeah, but she is, you know, she when she goes over the um, guest list for the Costume Institute Gala every year, everybody has to be young. Really? Yes. Which doesn't mean there aren't some older people there, but if you look at the people on the red carpet, it's mostly young stars. Yeah. Well, and that thing has happened to me, too, where now I'm looking at the stars and being like, who is that? Where? Oh, was, that's totally happening to me. Yeah. There was a point when you just knew who everybody was, and now there's the point where you just, you're like, I, I've never even seen this person before. Well, I tell myself that fame cycles are getting much faster, though, mm-hmm. so it's okay if I'm not. But the truth is I'm just older and don't know who people are. Yeah. Okay, you want me to ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so what's your, do you have an underlying fear about being invisible? And if so, what is it? Okay, well, I realize that I get a lot of validation from being seen by men. It's a question of relevance also. Like if if people aren't seeing you, it feels like they might not want to hear what you have to say. As it's coming out of my mouth, it sounds very whiny, but. I don't think it's whiny, though. I think it's it, it, it's just sort of processing what the reality is, because when I was thinking about what, you know, what my answer to that question would be, it's all about like losing power. It just is. Mm -hmm. And not like power with a capital P, like any level of power Mm -hmm. or agency. Yeah. I also, because I work in media, it's a field that sort of fetishizes youth um, on some level. And so I feel like if you want to get hired to work on a TV show or any kind of project. Um, They want the youngest people. And they call me when they want somebody who can get the job done. But if they want the fresh new version of something, it's going to be some 20-something-year-old who just came off of working on music videos. I feel like I walk through the world right now with a little bit of a trying to fake it. Like I'm trying to fake being in my 30s all the time. Hmm. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was... I. I benefited so much from people wanting to hire younger people in my life. You know, I was made an editor-in-chief when I was 34. I was a staff writer when I was 25 and worked at a magazine, Sassy, that wanted, you know, that was all about having very young staff members. And so it only feels natural that now that should come and bite me in the ass a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, how how do you proceed in a world that naturally prefers that which is young and beautiful? I do not have the answer. But just to throw it back at you, though, what, what is your fear with being invisible? Um, ending up broken alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that of fading, of just slowly fading and of nobody caring what I have to say. And I'm afraid of not having, of not being considered attractive, you know, which isn't easy to say. 
mm-hmm. but is really true. I used to look younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I look younger than I am anymore. I think I look my age. And I think you actually don't. But anyway, I don't. I also <laughs> thought to myself, we can't just say to each other, no, but you look great. I guess for the whole time doing that. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because I used to be the person who, when I would say my age, people go, no. And then the other part of that is that when you say your age, like let's say I'm talking to a 33-year-old person and I say, oh, yeah, I'm 46. And they go, no, you're 46. The the flip side of being shocked that I'm 46 is that 46 seems really old to them. Like they're not just shocked like, oh, you look so good for 46. They're like, Jesus Christ, you're fucking old if you're 46. Yeah, and there is this implication that you're like teetering on the verge of irrelevancy. Mm-hmm. Like closer to their parents' age than you are to them. Yeah. We didn't talk about the male gaze. No, I was just looking at that one, too. I mean, because I I maintain that women do this as much as men. I think that the thing with the male gaze is that it's not just the male gaze. It's that women shift their view to the male gaze, right? So they we all look at what men look at. If you're watching a movie, the movie is filmed from the point of view of the male gaze so that we're all looking at the women as being like, oh, are they fuckable? And we're all looking at the men and being like, oh, he's the alpha did you see that skit, The Last Fuckable Day? Yes. The Amy Schumer skit. Here, I'll just play a clip of it because it's so funny. <laughs> is, it, is it someone's birthday or? Oh. <laughs> kind of the opposite. We're celebrating Julia's last fuckable day. Yes. Salute. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. sorry. Did you say Julia's last fuckable day? Mm-hmm. What is that? Mm. In every actress's life, the media decides when you finally reach the point where you're not believably fuckable anymore. I mean, how do you know? Who tells you? Uh, well, nobody, nobody really overtly tells you, but there right. are signs. You like, you know yeah. how um, Sally Field was Tom Hanks's love interest in Punchline, and then like 20 minutes later, she was his mom in Forrest Gump. Or you might get offered a rom-com with Jack Nicholson, where you're competing with another woman to fuck him. Or I, I just had an audition for Mrs. Claus. You're kidding me. I read for that part. I, I read for that too. You did? <laughs> hey, who got that? J Lo. <gasps> Oh, she'll be good. She's going to be really good. I love that. Yeah. Is that what it's about? Is that when you start being invisible is when you stop being perceived, to put it in Amy Schumer's term, fuckable. Is it about fertility and nubile bodies? Yeah, I think it is. I don't think it's entirely that because I think it's also about what you're capable of thinking and achieving. But I think that we've managed to mangle those two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. together in a way that's really um, unfortunate. But I'm wondering, I mean, I, I don't know if this is me trying to put a positive spin on it, but I do wonder also if any of it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you tell yourself you're invisible, so you become invisible. So you stop caring what you look like and you don't put any effort into it? Right. I feel better when I put the effort in. And it starts off being for myself, but then it ends up feeling like it has a power that goes outwards. So I guess it's the opposite side of self-fulfilling prophecy. If you make yourself visible, you will be more visible. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel the same way. And lately I've been I've been feeling so old in my neighborhood, which is a young neighborhood in the Lower East Side of New York. And I'll walk the dogs and I'll feel like kids will stop and pet the dogs and not realizing that there's a person attached to the leashes. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. 
I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And I've been like, and I never leave the house without makeup, but lately I've just been like, fuck it. I'm leaving the house without lipstick on. It doesn't matter. Nobody even, I might, I'm a hologram for all anybody cares. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. Now I want to ask you about, I, I remember being younger and not being able to walk past a line of construction workers without them making comments and often really lewd comments or just walking past guys on the street, any crowd of guys on the street or rude men making comments about your appearance. And um, I used to hate it. I used to just hate it. I was already so self-conscious that way anyway. And especially when they said really ugly things. And I remember a woman saying to me once, you'll be sorry when they're gone and none of them make any comments. And then fuck if that wasn't true. Like when I didn't miss them saying like disgusting lewd things to me, but I missed when the other day I was walking through the park across the street from my house to go to the subway and a guy was like, hey, baby, looking good. And I was like, made my morning. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I am <laughs> made my morning. Wow. I think I haven't been cat called much on the street in my life. I don't know if that's wearing glasses or <laughs> what you just seem or I just seemed bookish, but um, I miss male attention. That's what I miss. I mean, so it comes down to the same thing. I just feel like when I go places, like at the coffee shop, you know, there used to be a little bit of a lingering glance when they kind of give you a coffee. That just sort of disappears. Like I make some kind of funny joke when I'm leaving, and the guy just kind of shrugs and walks away instead of makes me feel like I'm funny and interesting. Yeah, you definitely feel less funny and less amusing and interesting and smart when, like, as you get older and you become more invisible because yeah. you realize people were just laughing to be polite and because you were cute. Exactly. Okay, so this segues into somebody sent us some audio. Um, so listen to this. One of the worst things for me about um, feeling recently invisible was the realization that maybe some of my early career success had something to do with my appearance, which really hadn't dawned on me until I realized that, hey, I'm getting older and maybe not as attractive as I used to be. Um, people remembered me. And I think that this fed into my confidence, uh, my personality, my ability to take on more and more responsibility and, and move my way up the ladder. And now that I'm on the other side, I'm observing this happening to my younger, more beautiful colleagues. And I don't have bad feelings about this. I just feel it's maybe some of the great work that I was doing was overshadowed by the fact that I was an appealing person to have around. Um, 
so now I feel like I work a little bit in the shadows, a little bit more behind the scenes, um, which is both very liberating and also really sad. Um, and then it's like a cycle. I make less of an effort in my appearance because people just aren't noticing me as much. And then it contributes to my own invisibility. Anyway, I, I've thought about this a lot and I do think there's there's this weird purgatory for professional women. When we're young and beautiful, our value may be overstated. And then we when we fade, um, we do a lot of the brunt work behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden we're old and irrelevant. Our male counterparts are viewed so differently as honorable, distinguished and experienced. And we're just not. Invisibility, I think it absolutely happens. And as a six foot blonde woman, I honestly didn't think it would happen. I don't know how naive I am, but um, I believe it's happened and uh, I'm contending with it and trying to get noticed in other ways. It's such a bummer. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. We talked a lot as we were trying to put together the whole notion of this um this podcast and, you know, this episode in particular about keeping it light I know. or keeping it from being depressing. But the truth is, it's just, it's, it's, it's really tough. It's a really tough topic and without much upside, but I have to believe there's some upside. I don't want it to be a bummer either, but I do appreciate that certain things, <laughs> maybe in taking stock of them, that we will, in knowing them, maybe there's some power in that that like when you when you are aware of it you at least it's not as scary (laughs) yeah and I do think I mean as huggy as it sounds I do think that some acceptance around it is empowering Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not letting it be a force for you know not making it make me feel worse about myself Mm -hmm. and angrier at the culture Mm -hmm. but just thinking like this happened it happened to me Back when I was young, I benefited a lot from our culture being this way. Mm-hmm. So I sort of feel like it's just my karma coming back to me. <laughs> now, now I get to be treated that way by someone like me. Um, so this is something else that somebody sent in. I have found the process of aging out of attractiveness, I guess, to be kind of a mixed bag. Um, it's also very intersectional. As I've aged, my body has changed, and I've traded different kinds of visibility. And the visibility that I had as a youthful-looking, curvy, conventionally attractive person kind of waned, and my visibility as a fat person became a lot greater, and I'm comfortable with the size of my body, but it has definitely changed how I've been perceived, and that's kind of gone hand-in-hand with the age thing. I am also disabled, and being pretty was a form of immense privilege, But it was also a safety net, because I am disabled, I am in a country with no appreciable support for disabled people. Attractiveness was one of the few forms of social capital that was available to me. And the further outside of conventionally attractive I went, the more insecure I felt. Um, Not in the sense of the personal insecurity of not being pretty, but in literally having less security in my life, of having that avenue that was available to me of trading on my attractiveness, no longer being there and leaving me with much less. I don't actually think I would ever have used my attractiveness in that way, but the realization that the option was gone is, uh, it was deeply unwelcome. And I would say that it really started getting going right around when I turned 38, 39. Um, I think there are aspects of this that are shared by many women, disabled or not, straight, queer or not. Um, But it's definitely a hell of a thing to have to reckon with, and I am really looking forward to the day when I am a little more at peace with it. So interesting, the whole idea of um, using your attractiveness to compensate for your vulnerabilities. I mean, I think that people are so uncomfortable with disabled people. I also don't know what her disability is, so it's hard. But... um, People look away when they see someone in a wheelchair. Well, when I heard that, I was thinking, I mean, obviously when she says I wouldn't use my attractiveness, she's not talking about in overt ways like trading it for something. But I do think that there are little things in the world like somebody letting you off a bus first, you know, looking at you and holding the elevator door. I mean, little social niceties that I think definitely being younger and attractive pushes you forward. 
I have another one that somebody sent in that I love. Um, it's this woman who's talking about she and her friend used to go out to bars a lot and they would get hit on all the time and they had many years of fun bar hopping times together. And then so she, this is the part where um, she and the same friend decided in their early 40s to go on a trip to Europe. And they're at a train station. And we were waiting for the train to leave. These two very attractive, significantly younger guys came up and sort of presented themselves to us and they were standing talking to us and we don't understand any Portuguese so we were kind of giggling and we gestured that they go ahead and take the seats that were directly across from us facing us we were kind of giving each other sidelong knowing looks you know and uh, then it became clear uh, when they were able to communicate to us through their broken English that in fact uh, they weren't hitting on us uh, we were sitting in their seats because these were assigned <laughs> seats. So Heather and I got up laughing and embarrassed and went and found our seats. And I think we both realized that um, a certain passage in our life had come to an end. I love that story. Well, <laughs> no, that's a really good story. And I think we all have a story at least a little bit like that. But it, uh, there's that Carly Simon quote that I like, and I wish I remembered what it was exactly, but I, 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 it always was really moving to me because she was somebody who was like, you know, I think about her album covers with, you know, her in the T-shirt with like her nipples showing, looking really sexy and everything. And she had a line about how um, you, there's a moment, the moment comes when you have to know to let the young women have that be their game. I know. And so that's why sometimes I feel like when we're having this conversation, I don't want it to feel like when I'm saying these things, I don't want it to feel like, ah, oh, but it's so not fair. Look at us, too. Like that. So it does feel a little bit like this is a different phase and this is a different thing and it means different things. And so let them have that and we can have something else. I mean, I think so. It may feel like it's it's a not satisfying something else or a less than something else. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it has to. And I think as somebody who used to feel like vulnerable I think I'm, there are parts of invisibility that I feel okay about. You know, I, I like the fact that I, I, I don't feel like I'm going to get grabbed or, you know, touched inappropriately or something, that that's just no longer part of my makeup. Mm -hmm. That feels like a relief. Did you get grabbed? No, I never did. <laughs> I just had an inordinate fear of it. Because I was trying to think of, like, if I feel relief about not being grabbed and I was like I don't think I ever was grabbed. <laughs> I was grabbed once at a Madonna concert. Right. I remember it really well. I was I was on the aisle and I was dancing and she was like playing Get Into the Groove. It was probably 1989 trying to remember which tour that was but um, this man and I was feeling you know I was feeling really good and, and this guy walked by and just pinched my arm really hard. I was wearing mm. a sleeveless shirt and I just remembered feeling like I was having this moment when I was feeling like, you know, comfortable and sexy and yeah. Madonna was playing. And then this guy just came and was like, not so fast. Huh. And so I, I, I don't mind not being thought of as like ripe for the picking that way. Yeah, when you put it that way, for sure. I think also so often... I am moving through the world now with one or two children next to me. And so th I am off limits in that way in the world. Do you think children make you invisible? For sure. I mean, your own children, you're invisible to your own children in this weird way because you're the most important person in their lives at this age. And yet they don't consider your needs for anything like they don't consider you a person because well, so. you're like god exactly <laughs> and yeah you're there to provide things for them and it doesn't matter if you're tired or you don't feel well or you you know those things don't matter so it's this weird schism where you just you're important but not important do you think this is something that this the the whole question of invisibility that's made you more or less vain well i feel like i talk about it a lot and i feel like a lot of my friends feel I'm unnaturally uh, obsessed with aging. And it's made me feel like I must be more vain than other people. You? Oh, I think I'm much more vain now. Yeah. Infinitely more. I used, to, I used to run out of the house with mascara on and maybe some lip gloss. 
Now it's like four different kinds of skincare products, the BB cream, the foundation, the eyeliner, the the everything. And and there's, you know, maybe I'll walk the dogs in the morning without that. But once I'm like on for the day, it's got to happen every day, even yeah. if I'm just going to be hanging out writing all day. Yeah, I find... I don't know if you're listening, advertisers, but I find the one thing about it is it's made me very susceptible to um, sales pitches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I I will spend a lot of money on it, and I find oh, that. I'll spend a fortune. I'll spend a fortune. I found out recently I was using the wrong cleansing pads. Mm-hmm. Not Korean. Like, we have to be using Korean or Japanese cleansing pads because American or maybe all North American cleansing pads leave cotton on your face. Oh, and they're abrasive. And so, the ones from Korea and Japan, just the product sort of sits there very nicely on top of the pad and absorbs directly into your skin. I will literally walk out of this room and go purchase <laughs> this right now. I'm, so, I'm telling you, I will. I'm. It's. I guess that's the part of it where like it's so easy for me to fall into like if I if I buy this thing or if I work at this thing, then it won't happen or or it'll make it better. And I feel so happy when I have a new product, you know? Oh, like, yeah, there's nothing better. I know. You're just looking at the the potential on the on your little medicine cabinet shelf and you open the new thing. It's like as soon as I open it and use it once, I'm basically ready for the next thing. You know? Oh, yeah. It's like getting a tattoo. It's like you get a tattoo and you're immediately ready for the next tattoo. Oh, I don't have any tattoos, so I don't know what that's oh, like. Oh, you're smart. <laughs> so I also have when I discuss this this topic with my boyfriend, he was like, you know, my boyfriend, it's very nice, thinks I'm very pretty, and is like, this is ridiculous. You're not invisible. Mm-hmm. So I think having, knowing that there's at least one person in your life to whom you are not invisible is a good thing. And so if I can't get the same kind of juice out of walking down the street I used to get, even though I don't think I ever realized I was getting that at the time, I just was, um, then I feel okay about it. I don't feel completely invisible i just mean i'm less visible yeah and i can feel it you know it's a downward slope like it's getting there well it's the the line in better things i always think about that when they're talking about becoming less visible and the woman's like i used to just get something from these interactions and i walked into the coffee shop and these younger girls were getting that now and i want some of that still yeah it's like that's what it is it isn't like a it isn't like a, a huge paradigm shift, but it's a paradigm shift. There is that scene in Fleabag, too, the one where um, Kristen Scott Thomas, who is radiant still. Yes. <laughs> I mean, hang on. What does she say exactly, actually? You better get back to that party. Your party? Mm. It is not a party until someone flirts with you. And that's the only really shit thing about getting older is that people don't flirt with you anymore. Not really. Not with danger. I miss walking into a room and not knowing. And there's a sort of energy, a dare. And do not take that for granted. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s or early 30s, and I was at that moment right before I walked into a big party, that when you feel something in your stomach and you're like, anything could happen tonight. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I pretty much know what's going to happen tonight. (laughs) I'm going to go for a while. I'm going to talk to some people I already know. I'm going to maybe meet someone who knows a lot of people I know. And we're going to talk about work. And then I'm going to go home and go to bed. (laughs) Okay, someone sent us this, which is really good. I'd never been invisible until very recently. And I would have liked not to have noticed that. Um, I've always been noticed for being tall, for having long legs, for having big boobs. And then I started to be noticed for who I was and what I was doing and what I was accomplishing. So I do not feel invisible. I feel very visible. And I feel that we have to take these gifts of invisibility and appreciate that we are now, we're being seen by who we need to be seen by. I don't need a construction worker to see me. I don't need some gross guy drinking and doing shots in the bar to see me. I need people who value me to see me. Oh, that's really nice. I know. She's... <laughs> I want to be more like her. I know. She's healthy. <laughs> um, but I think it comes back to also, do we need to be seen by strangers? I mean, I think she's obviously talking about the people in her life who are her close people like your friends and your family and your 
colleagues value you? Well, I think about my readers. Mm. You know, I feel like my readers see me every day and that's really gratifying. And when I ask them questions, like I asked them recently, they are, they're really eager to respond. And I think they, you know, they're all roughly at the same age and point in life. And I feel very seen by them always. And I feel like my loved ones value me. And I'm not just talking about my kids, but I mean my my husband and my friends. To those people, you'll always be who you are. You know, to those people, your outward, how you present and how you dress and how you look doesn't fade. So it's really just kind of if we can just reckon with the public. <laughs> well, it's like it's a, it, it, it's. Those they, I read once somewhere, like the things that come quickly to the senses leave the senses quickly, too. And the kind of charge you get on the street just from somebody noticing you is a quick charge, and then it leaves quickly, too. Mm-hmm. But the kind of visibility you have with the people who care about you and who you care about is, is a much more long, you know, that has more of a shelf life. It's a more um, enduring charge that may be less of, have less of a spark attached to it, but ultimately is more worthwhile. There was also that Esther Perel clip from the Death, Sex, and Money podcast. So it was interesting because Alia Shaukat, um guest-hosted Death, Sex, and Money, and she's, I think she said she's 30 or just over 30, and she was starting to notice that she was feeling less visible. And I think it's that thing of just going to a bar and the people who get the most noticed are in their 20s. And she's a beautiful young actress. And it was shocking to me to hear that she related a little bit to feeling invisible. But she asked Esther Perel, the um, famous Belgian psychoanalyst or psychologist, I'm not sure what the what her correct term is, about it. And Esther Perel had this bit of wisdom that was so good. Hang on. I think that what comes at with dirty, really... It's not so much the, the the focus on on the on the on the external gaze, the male gaze or the female gaze, that whatever the erotic gaze on you that affirms you and that you start to feel. Oh, at twenty three, everybody looked at me because at twenty three you are obsessed with. Did they look at me? Did they not look at me? Did the person that I want look right. at me? Is the one that looked at me is not the one I really want to? Because that, if that's the only person that looks at me, what does that say about me? It's the other one that I want to be looked for. I mean, it just is seas yeah, endless, totally. right? So yeah. at thirty, I really. To me, what starts to happen is you begin to enter into your skin with a greater degree of self-acceptance and mm-hmm. uh, and therefore confidence. And with that confidence, you begin to select whose, uh, whose attention actually matters and not that everybody's attention is equally important to convey your sense of self-worth. And all of that creates a much greater, I think, degree of joy and, uh, and satisfaction period. Um, And it gets even more so afterwards. That's the, the, but it's very hard to say that to someone who starts at 30 because, because (laughs) you you have to have gone through it sometimes to really know what we are talking about and uh, which is what life is about. The experience of life is something that you cannot predict in advance. You can describe it 10 times. The only time you know is when you're actually are going through it. I love that. <laughs> I mean, self-acceptance and choosing whose opinion matters is probably the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just hard and not the natural way of doing things. It's kind of like you have to sort of put yourself on manual to be able to accept invisibility. Wait, what do you mean put yourself on manual? Like, it's not what you're... If you're a car, you know, yeah. it's not what your car does naturally. It's what you have to make your car do. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you have to force yourself sense. into you have to force yourself into that way of thinking. Yeah, because it's unnatural because it's, you know, if you derived a certain amount of satisfaction and visibility from being an attractive person and that doesn't happen anymore, of course it's going to feel shitty. I'm going to use that shorthand to myself. Put myself on manual. I use it all the time for all sorts of things. <laughs> It's your own cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. I've also had a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, so it helps. But one of my favorite cognitive behavioral therapy um, concepts is radical acceptance, you know, which is just really acceptance, just 
looking at a situation, it's the serenity prayer in AA. It's, you know, that accepting the things I cannot change. God grant me the strength to, to something. Accept the things I cannot change, change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I mean, right. that's really what radical acceptance is. I also like putting the word radical in front of anything. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, it makes, so much better. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like when people say radical honesty, and you're like, it's just honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally. It's, radical acceptance really is just acceptance. It sounds so much more punk rock, though. It does. <laughs> and like something really good is going to come Exactly. It. It's on steroids. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim Franz. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. And spread the word, because we want to let people know that we exist. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.